So I don't want to speak from uh, the book of, uh, I always called it Philemon, right? But as I was listening to the stuff this week, it's pronounced Philemon, but I'll probably say Philemon, Philemon, loads of different ways during the, during the sermon as I forget how it's pronounced. And uh, I think this is actually one of the greatest stories in the New Testament. And I was kind of oblivious to, to, the, to, to what it was about until we read it this week. We read it in one day because it's only one chapter long. And uh, my only experience with Philemon before is um, we were over in Reuben and the Venus during the week. And uh, Penny pointed up at the shelf, like she's looking around and knows how she is in people's houses. And she's like, what's, what's that up there, Davina? And Davina pulled down this like cool little uh, cube. And it was like a stationary cube. They put like a scissors out of this side. And what was in a Penny? A tape dispenser, and a measuring tape, and a sharpener. And it was a cool thing. But uh, Davina got it from doing, do you remember when you were a kid, you do the read-a-thon thing in school? None of you guys do that, we had to read a certain amount of books over like two or three months and all. Well, as a little Christian kid, I used to cheat at that. And I used to like, whenever everyone would come around, I'd read like the book of Philemon, which is only like one chapter long, yeah. And then uh, like 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Obadiah, they're all only one chapter long in the Bible. It's five books read in like half an hour. And we're like, give me that book, Mark, or whatever. Take that, <laughs> Take that I guess. And, uh, but, uh, it was one of the one of the happy things about being a Christian kid. And so I used to read, I'd read Philemon and I'd read it again and again. And I knew like tangentially kind of the story. There was just something about this guy called Anisimus in it. And uh, but really this week as we watched the, the Bible Project video, if you're not watching them, please tune in and watch them like, up on the website each day when there's a new book uh Malachi's put together. And uh, it really just like brought the story alive for me. I think it's one of the best stories in the New Testament. It reads like an Old Testament story. You know one of those stories in like when God in Genesis where God like takes Moses or Abraham or or or, uh, or, or Joseph and, and you see all these, these like God orchestrating lives and pulling stuff together in ways you couldn't even imagine. It reads like one of those stories within in the New Testament. And so there's this guy called Onesimus that we see, and uh, you'll have read, you'll have seen his name a few weeks back when we were in the book of Colossians, or Cushions as Penny called it, when we were on the Bible project. Um, and it said like towards the end of Colossians, you know where Paul does the thing signing off, who's, who's coming with this letter, who's going there and saying hello and goodbye. He's like, say hello to Onesimus as he comes with you. He's like, he's one of you. So we get some insight that he's from Colossae, right? He's, he's, he's one of the Colossian people, and he's traveling back. Um, and Onesimus is actually carrying three letters. He was carrying a letter to the Ephesians, so the, the letter that we have in our Bible, right, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, and Philemon, they were carried by this guy, Onesimus, to the churches, written by Paul when he was in prison in Rome, right? So he goes from Rome to deliver these, these letters. Big journeys, yeah, Rome to uh, Ephesus and Colossae in Turkey, like 2,000 kilometers away by camel or whatever, horse or walking, whatever way it took them. So big, long, long journeys to get there. Um, and so what had happened was Paul, about 10 years previous to this letter of Philemon, right, he, he started a church in Ephesus. And then out of there, a church in Ephesus with a guy called Epaphras, they planted another church in a town called Colossae. So that's where Ephesians and Colossians come from. And in Colossae and in Ephesus, there was this guy called Philemon, who Paul had led to the Lord about 10 years previous. Okay? So that's who Philemon is. Um, but as we read it, we see that there's this really cool story going on between Onesimus and Philemon. Um, both of them led to Paul in different cities. Um, when Isaac was led to the Lord, we read, we read the letter, he was led to the Lord in Rome by Paul, when Paul was, was in prison. And it turns out, though, that they, actually, that they actually know each other. And the story is this incredible story. The story is that Onesimus, right, had been Philemon's slave. So Philemon came to know the Lord as like a wealthy householder. And part of the culture in that day is that they owned slaves, bond servants, that, like, that worked the household, worked the land and all. And Onesimus, it turns out, had been one of Philemon's slaves. 
and he had, uh, we read from the letter, he'd stolen something from Philemon and ran away as a slave, okay? So he steals from Philemon, runs away as a slave. Philemon is the only one who's a Christian at this point. Um, and Onesimus runs away, and of all places he runs to Rome. He runs to Rome probably because it's the biggest city in the world right then. It's a place where maybe he can disappear, right? Maybe he can hide. But somehow, and we don't know how it happened, right? But somehow Onesimus ends up getting connected with Paul. And picture it right now, Onesimus is a runaway slave. That's a dangerous thing to be in Rome, right? Because like, the, the, the economy's built on slavery. You can be put in prison, you can be killed. Like, he's on the run. And somehow he comes into contact with Paul in prison. We don't, we're not told how, but maybe, maybe he gets into dire straits and he actually seeks out Paul because he's heard Philemon talk about this guy Paul who led him to the Lord in Ephesus or whatever. Or maybe Onesimus ends up locked up in prison and he's beside Paul like, uh, for, some, for some sort of crime and then he gets out. But uh, somehow in the scheme of things he ends up beside Paul and Paul nurtures this guy. Paul does what he does and he tells Onesimus about Jesus and he disciples him and Onesimus becomes a Christian. Um, and Paul becomes like a father to this, to this runaway slave. And at some point, we don't know, we don't know what happens, but at some point the, job, the dots are joined. And Paul realizes that, that this guy Onesimus is the slave of a guy Philemon who 10 years earlier he'd, he'd led to the Lord. And he becomes the connection point between the two of them. And Paul um, is determined that he has to, in light of the gospel, push for reconciliation between these two guys. For, for Onesimus and Philemon, who are both now Christians, to be reconciled in some way. And so, he sends Onesimus off with the letters to Ephesians, the letters to Colossians, and a letter written specifically now to, to Philemon, to give to him uh, when he arrives at his door, to try and take to Philemon, look, will you, not, will you take Onesimus back, but this one, not as a slave, take him back instead as a brother, because he's come to know Jesus. And we can say that, right? We're going to read the whole letter, it's like 25 verses long or something. And we can, we can read that one. Put yourself in the story. Imagine being, imagine being Onesimus. Imagine being the, the runaway, the person who's like, you've robbed from this slave owner and ran away, and now you've become a Christian. And now, and now an implication of becoming that Christian is that you're going to be sent back to the guy who owned you as a slave. And you're going back knowing, right? Like, you're going back knowing that, by all rights, the law backs Philemon to, to the full extent, Philemon could do anything. Could take him back into slavery, could punish him, could whip him, could even murder him, and have the full backing of the law, so like, you would be in the right, according to the Roman Empire, to do this. And you're walking back 2,000 kilometers of a journey, and all you've got is this letter in your back pocket, right? That I'm going, I'm going to give to this guy. This letter to, to prove that I'm a Christian, that you're never going to guess what's happened, Philemon. The guy who led you to the Lord has led me to the Lord, and he sent me back with you. Like, can you imagine knocking at the door of this like, slave owner as this person being reconciled? And you've got, all you've got is this letter and the hope that the, the gospel is real. The hope that this same God that you've come to know and experience is the same God that Philemon knows and loves and experiences. Can you imagine the trust in God to do that? Like, would you do it? Honestly, if it was you, would you, would you risk it? We, like, like, you wouldn't. You'd stay in Rome, yeah? You'd be like, okay, here's what I would do. Like, send somebody else with a letter back there, and then, like, test the water, see exactly or not. And then maybe we'll meet, like, somewhere in between a neutral ground where I can still leg it if I need to leg it because he might have forgiven me, or he might really be a Christian, I don't know. Like, the trust that it takes, you're in a kind of safe position in a way. The trust that it takes to face into your past in a way that opens you up to being like vulnerable, that opens you up, you have to own up to the things that you're doing. He's not just going back as a runaway slave, he's going back as a runaway slave who also robbed from, from his owner. And so there's this debt to be paid. And just the, the, the trust. Can you imagine like knocking at the door 
I've given this letter, like Philemon answers the door or whatever, and you're face to face with him, and you give him this letter, and you just have to wait in silence as he reads it. Like, imagine just the, the tension, the fear, and then, uh, maybe that's why it's only a chapter long. Imagine if all that wrote a letter as long as Romans. And you get just <laughs> like, two hours to read this thing. But it's like one chapter long. And uh, here's what it says, right? So you know the context now, right? You imagine this guy reading it for the first time. It says, Paul is in prison. Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Afia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership in with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So, so far I'm sure that all Paul is saying is, is true, but it's also like he's buttering him up. Yeah, it's also it's like he's like, like trying to open the door. And then he's like building him up, like, you're a good guy, you know, uh, I've heard about your love, you always encourage people, and it's like, he's like, like so when you read this, yeah, I am, yeah, I am, yeah, and then it's like the ask comes in a second, right? Um, next, next verse, he says this, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Paul is saying, as an apostle, carry some authority, I could just tell you what to do, and you would be left to do that, right? But he says, yeah, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, yeah? Which is brilliant. That's like Jesus saying, all the long commandments are stuck up in this, love the Lord your God, love the heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Love becomes the underlying motivation. He appeals to what should have changed in Philemon's heart to what he does. So it's not just lessons for the Christian life, it's not just do this, do this, do this, it's like, it's what we're doing, flowing out of love for the Lord, love for people, right? And it is none other than Paul, an old man and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that he's writing to us. And I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. So there's a couple of things there before we move on, right? One is that, is that Paul says this, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Um, the language, if you look up at the Greek, the, my son there literally means the child that I birthed. It's the same word as if like a woman gave birth to a, to a child. That's the language you use. It's like, this is a kid who I've birthed. This is somebody who like, spiritually I've brought into the world. And there's this, like, when we see that, it's not just my son as in I hold him close. It's like, my son is in, I feel like this intimate connection with this guy that I've sacrificed on his behalf. That I've, in fact, it would have been a sacrifice of Paul. Paul is in prison, remember, right? He's in Rome, and he's, he's charged with a kind of subverting the empire, okay? And what's he doing now? Like, Rome is based on slavery. He's sending a slave back to his owner, saying to his owner, you receive him as a brother. He's further subverting the empire. Paul is awaiting sentencing. He's awaiting to be before the judge. And in the middle of that, he's willing to, like, sacrifice his own standing or, 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 or his own trial, you know, like his own defense. He's not, he's not willing to compromise the gospel. So it's like, it's costly to him to be in Onesimus' life. He's, he's like a bird chip. We talked a couple of weeks ago about when like, creation was long, as in like, the pains of childbirth and revealing the sons of God. It's like this inner turmoil that's going on, this struggle like, as Christians to, to realize the plans and the purposes of God. Paul, in other places in Galatians, he talks about like this. He says, I'm, about the Galatians, he says, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's like, he cares so deeply about people. He's like, in anguish, like of labor, like, like, because he just wants to see Christ formed in the people he loves. And the question is this, God, it's just, 
like simply, like, is there anybody in our lives who can care about that much? Because there should be. Yeah? Is there anybody in our lives who we're committed to in that way? Like who, 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 who we pray for, who we struggle with, who we disciple, who we long to see Christ formed in them? Like that's the way we should be. Or is there anybody in your life who does that for you? You know, have you got a Paul? Have you got somebody who, who struggles for you? Have you got somebody who you know has your back? Somebody who goes to war for you? Because that's what you're meant to have. There should be someone in this room, you know what I mean? Like, shouldn't we just playing at this stuff? Like, that we should be in each other's lives that we know, and I can call in on the drop of a hat, that sacrifice on my behalf. Or I'm in there whilst I'm with them, I'm walking through them, I'm bearing the cost of being with them, like Paul did for Onesimus. And the fruit of that in Onesimus' life is that he's transformed. It seems like some harsh language there saying he was useless, right? But uh, again, if you look up the Greek, the name Onesimus, right, in Greek, it's the Greek word for useful. So he has this like literal name. His name was useful. You know, like people call like blessing or like like uh, like you give a child that my name means my name means handsome and bright. How cool is that? up around and and I'm believing it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's like. He, he, like, he was given this name, and it was likely given a name like that that he was born into slavery, right? They're calling him what they want him to be. You're going to be useful. You know what I mean? Um, and so he, he, like, he takes this thing and he's like, he was previously, it's a play on words. He was previously, previously useless to you, but now he's become useful. That's Paul saying, through like his input into his life, through what the Holy Spirit has done. And not just the Holy Spirit in a vacuum, the Holy Spirit works through brothers and sisters to shape us. That Onesimus' life has been transformed to the extent that he's realizing his full identity in God, what he was purposed for. And the question is this, have you got somebody in your life who's going to call you to the purposes of God? Or are you somebody in someone else's life who's going to call them to the purposes of God, who's going to push them? You need that. You need at least one person. You should have multiple people, but we need that. If we don't have it, we need to put ourselves in the way of it. We need to decide to do that. Paul decides to do that. Onesimus decides to be obedient to what Paul is asking him to do. Just like this mutual decisions that happens when you're a Christian. To knit yourself together with other Christians. And the benefit of it is that we all get to grow into who God has made us to be. The treasure gets called out in us. We get to walk with people towards transformation. On to the next verse. Verse 12 says this. Um, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. Word for heart that means like his guts. It's like, it's like I'm tearing out my guts to send this guy back to you. That's the level of connection. Right? I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place and help me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Listen to this. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. It seems like the language in here where it's like, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while was that you might have him back forever. That, that brings back to me like stories of like Old Testament, you know like Joseph, where Joseph's taken into slavery and, and his brother Salomon, and he goes through all this stuff with Potiphar and he's locked up in prison and then, but eventually he becomes governor and then, and then, like, quick summary, then his family end up coming and Joseph is used to save his family. And what does he say? He's like, what, see what you did to me, what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned it for good. Paul is saying it's like the same scenario here. It's like, perhaps what happened, this guy robbing from you or wronging you in whatever way and running away to Rome coming into contact with me and me sending him back. Perhaps the purpose of that was that even though he was separated you from a little while, you might have him back forever. 
not just meaning for this life, but for eternity, that you've been united together in Jesus. Perhaps God was even working in the stealing and the deceiving and the running away and the slavery and all of that stuff so that you could be knitted together. What a, what a, a promise that you find in there. And then Paul makes the, the ask. And the ask we find is in verse 16. But you have him back. Uh, sorry, back there again, Lord. Sorry. Uh, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. We read that 2,000 years later and say, like, okay, of course, that makes sense. You know, we shouldn't be slaves. We, we get that. But, like, when I read up on historians who, who talked about this period of time, they said that Paul saying this is like unheard of. In, in, at that time. Slavery is just assumed. That's just the way the world works, yeah? And it's okay to treat slaves as less than as less than humans, as animals. But Paul is one of the first people to, to, to speak about like the idea of a slave being an equal with a brother. And he doesn't do it by just saying, like, okay, Philemon, slavery is wrong, right? There's not that what he does. He goes he goes to a deeper level. And he undermines the very foundation that slavery is built on. That's the dehumanization of other human beings. The idea that one person has more intrinsic worth than another based on any characteristic. What he's saying is that, is that when you receive this guy back, you receive him as an equal. He's saying the same Jesus died for him as died for you. He has like this basis now for the, the worth of the individual, not based on a characteristic, where you were born, what level of society you were born into. He's like, there's a new society. The world has changed. Since Jesus has come, everyone has been equal. You know, he's like, there's neither Jew nor, nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. There's just one in Christ. And he's saying the, the implications of this Philemon is that you can't receive this guy back as a slave. You can't believe the gospel and receive this guy back as a slave. If you believe the gospel, if you believe what Jesus has done, your only option is to receive this guy back as a brother in Christ, as an equal. It's no longer an option to see this man as someone with less rights than you. He's your equal in Christ. Based on the gospel, we go on. The last verse of God says this. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or he owes you anything, charge it to me. I call him right this in my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write so you know that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Papyrus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings as to Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so he signs off on this. And if you watch the Bible Project video during the week, you'll see like the gospel in, in, in what Paul does right now. You'll see when they're animating this little picture of Paul and they'll like, draw a cross around the background to show how Paul is mirroring who Jesus is right now. They, they've got at this point that this is the only letter that he wrote where he doesn't actually preach the gospel. He doesn't say, Jesus died for our sins and here's what happened. But instead, he like demonstrates the gospel by what he's willing to do on behalf of Philemon and Onesimus to bring them back together, to reconcile them with one another. It's like Paul being Christ-like in this, this thing. He's encouraging Onesimus to go back and Philemon to welcome. And what he does is he looks to bridge the gap between the two of them, which is what Jesus has done between us and the Father. Yeah? You see this great picture of the gospel. He offers to pay Onesimus' debt as if it's own. He says up here, look, like you consider a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And then he throws in a little thing. But don't forget that you owe me your life. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, 
Did he always, if he, he always go out and charge it to me? What, like what? Do you see? Do you see the picture there? Do you see what Jesus has done? Do you see Jesus on the cross, taking the dead of our sins, taking like the death that we owe before the Father, taking the punishment, the right, the right justice for for what we deserve? Like it gets charged to him, yeah. And um, this great, incredible picture. He, he, at his own expense, he wants them to be reconciled to Philemon. Similarly, he says to him, "Welcome him as you would welcome me." And we have this great, this great hope, guys, that when we stand before the Lord, like Penny opened with this morning when she said, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased, because we're in Jesus, that that's what the Father says about us, that we're welcomed the way that Jesus is welcomed. The Gospel puts this audacious idea out there, that Jesus took our sins and our punishment, right? He paid what was owed. But that we then get the full benefit of Jesus' life as if we lived it ourselves. We get the full reward before the Father in heaven of Jesus' life as if we did the things that Jesus did. That his righteousness is imputed to us. His righteousness becomes our own. And Paul is showing a picture of this. That as we stand before the Father, we're treated as sons because of Jesus. We get that benefit as if we lived it ourselves. Paul isn't preaching the gospel here. He's demonstrating the gospel that we're united. And I want us to remember that in just a few moments as we share communion. That this is the thing that unites us with the Father and that unites us with one another. And there's one more aspect that I can't help but bring out, right? Last, last page of my notes here. Um, I didn't realise this, but again, as I watched the Bible project, you see that word koinonia coming up again. It's used twice in this letter. Yeah? If you remember a while back, man, I think the Holy Spirit's all over that word for me. I just keep seeing it everywhere. A while back when we were in Acts and we preached on it, there was like, you know, the early church, we had that picture, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, breaking the bread, to fellowship, to prayer. And the word for fellowship was this, this koinonia word. It wasn't just fellowship, like I'm going to fellowship, I'm going to church, it's nice to sing some songs and then I go up. It was like, it was like I'm committed to overlapping my life intentionally with my brothers and sisters. And we see it at work in Acts 2 and Acts 4. What does that look like? They shared their possessions. Nobody had any need. If somebody has a resource, it belongs to the person who has a need that's there. That they met together in one another's homes. That they enjoyed one another. That they, they devoted themselves to reading the word together. Breaking bread together. To living life together. That they were so knitted together that they were the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. When he prayed, make them one so as you and I are one Father. So that the world we know you sent me. People looked on in amazement at this community that was formed of different people from different backgrounds. Of different different nationalities, all together and sharing things in common in Jesus. And people looked and said, the only way that makes sense is if Jesus was raised from the dead and he's united them, that the message that they're preaching is true, because otherwise there's no basis for those people to be as connected as they are. That's koinonia. That's the word that's there, that koinonia, connection together. In verse 6, Paul opens with, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith, you know where he's buttering him up, that bit in the section, I pray your partnership in the faith with us would be effective for the deepening of your understanding of everything you share for the sake of Christ. That word partnership is koinonia. He's like, I pray that, that that partnership would be there and that we get to share everything in Christ. You sound funny and there's a blessing when you, when you overlap your lives with other people, with, with other Christians, the blessing is that more of Jesus is expressed. And that you get to express more of Jesus to them. That we're, we're meant to be connected in this, in this Christ-connected community. And it's with that same confidence that Paul sends on this in his back. He, that's, that's, that's why he can't just like leave Onesimus and Rome. He's like, he's like, do you realize that you've been made one with this guy Philemon? That there's, there's like, but there's, but there's this tension between us. There's, this, there's, 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 there's a distance between us. 
And because you've been united in Christ, you need to bring what's been made true in the heavenly realm into the earthly realm. You need to act in obedience to that and, and pursue relationship with Philemon again. That, that, that word koinonia. Um, and he pulls it back out again. He says, like, koinonia is going to be how you define your relationship with one another. That gets, it becomes this guiding principle of the early church. The expectation of koinonia, partnership. Of, of, of unity, of, of being one as a body. It's like a realistic thing that's expected of us. Koinonia isn't just an idea. Koinonia is something that we do, that we're committed to. It's not just something that just happens. It happened in Jesus in the heavenly realm, but like every other thing that gets lived out on earth, it's lived out by faith as we participate in it, as we step out in faith, as we intentionally put ourselves into one another's lives. If you look at this thing, Philemon and Onesimus, like, they, they, they had to do something. There was a cost to it. And Paul ends it with, again, verse 17, which is up there. Do you consider me a partner? Welcome him as you would welcome me. That word partner, again, koinonia. If there's koinonia between you and me, Philemon, if you remember that I invested my life in you, that we overlapped, that I'm your spiritual father, if you remember that, then you have to extend that same koinonia over to, to Onesimus here because he's been united into that family. He's been grafted into that, that vine. He's a part of it. And that to them is the challenge to live it out in the real world, and that's the challenge to us. It's not just an idea, it's not just a concept, it's not just something to hear on a Sunday morning. It's like, what do you do with that? They devoted themselves to this thing. Not just they heard about it, thought, that's nice. They devoted themselves, they did it. Your unification in Jesus isn't something you keep to yourself or an idea you put up on a shelf. It's, it's going to compel you to get up off your seat and to get uncomfortable and to live it out in the realities of everyday life, to place yourself in people's lives. Often at great cost to you, yeah? Because there's always a cost to love. Here's how you know if something is love. Did it cost you? Like if not, it's just like some surface level thing. You know it's real love when you're willing to bear the cost. This is what love looks like when someone lays down their life for their friends. You know what real love looks like? Look at the cross. There's a cost to it. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He sent his only son. Not he so loved the world, and whatever. Send a battle to his car. You know what I mean? Just like stop back and be like, oh, I love you guys, I hope you know that. You know what I mean? Like there's a cost, there's a participation, there's the incarnation the priest talked about. Christ coming, God becoming flesh, growing up, becoming vulnerable, being obedient to death on the cross, and he calls us to do the same. You see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, you go and do the same. There's like this, this implication that what's been made true in heaven, we're responsible now for walking out and there's walking in the reality of it. And it's a blessing to us, but there's also a cost to us. For Onesimus, the cost is to look back into his story, to face into the, the hard things that he's done, to go back and face the guy he stole from, the guy who can possibly put him to death. And to do that only armed with the humility that the gospel enables. And maybe that's something that the Spirit has on you today, that maybe you're living unreconciled with people. Maybe they're brothers even, sisters in Christ. Maybe, maybe you got hurt to the church and you just walked away. Maybe the Spirit's just like pressing on that this morning, that we're not the people who walk away, we're the people who go back. Or the people who, who like push for reconciliation. Even if even if the door could get slammed in our face, even if even if it could cause us hurt, even if even if like even if they don't forgive us, like we're the people walking back with just that letter in our back pocket saying, Look, here's what God has done in my life and it compels me because we're we're one. It compels me. I can't live in a different way than that. I can't I can't I can't say I believe the gospel and not and not live it out. That that maybe that's what the Holy Spirit is pressing on your heart. That you need to do that. And if it is, do it. Or for Philemon, his cost was forgiveness. He'd been wronged, yeah? 
he'd, he'd something been stolen from him. Maybe, maybe you need to forgive someone who's done something wrong on you. He'd also been wrong. The cost to him now was humility. He's going to, can you imagine being Philemon and now realizing, well, wait a minute, what? If this is just true of Onesimus, what about all the, what about all the other slaves? What about, well, maybe it's not right to have, to have slaves at all. And we look at that, well, of course it's not right. But what, what, what is it that the world that says is all right right now in the way that you're living? But you know, in Christ, it's not right. We go on about it because the world isn't shouting about it. The world isn't giving out about it. It says it's okay. You can do that. You can do that. But Jesus says, no, I've called you to something bigger. I've called you to something better. There's a reason. There's a reason. There's an underlying reason for, for the things that I've called you to do. Like when Paul addresses that stuff on slavery, it undermines like the, the structure of slavery, the dehumanization of one another. Like every sin at its root is, 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 like is given into the enemy who wants the destruction of the world. Like it's, it's not just obedience so that we can feel good about ourselves, it's obedience because that's how the world has changed through our obedience to the Lord. Are we willing to bear the cost of that? Of turning our backs on the things that maybe the world says is okay, but we know God says it. For Paul, the cost was this, sending this guy Onesimus away, the guy who he loved. He went to part with things, part with people, send them out for their benefit. Not just hold on to things or hold on to people, but be selfless in that way, but genuinely seeking the good of the other. To be able to speak courage into someone's life, like encouraging them to face into the things that they need to face into for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of who God is. Are you willing to do that? Are you going to let yourself get into that kind of relationship with somebody where you can actually say, this is my heart, this is the person who like, I gave birth to? Or are we going to keep ourselves as like individuals? I belong to church, I hear a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and listen to this sermon, I'll just live my life, and it'll be grand. Or are we going to have quite an ear? Are we going to bear the cost, the cost of that, of being in other people's lives, in obedience to what Jesus has done? Are you going to be in that kind of relationship? Or, like Paul, maybe you find yourself today being the person who has the opportunity to be the peacemaker. Maybe you're the person who's in the middle and able to draw the connection between two people who you know are unreconciled and need to be reconciled. Maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your, your church history. You know, those two people are, 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 aren't in, like, are, are separate from one another and shouldn't be in Christ. Paul puts himself out there. He's willing to like step in the middle and say, look, if he owes you something, charge it to me so that you can be reconciled. Receive him the way that you would receive me. Maybe that's you. Maybe the Lord has called you to be a peacemaker. But again, there's cost in it. You say that and you just be like, oh man, I just couldn't be bothered. No, I just like leave them to that. But if we say that, can we honestly say we have the heart of Jesus? Our, our prayer is that is that as we as we have communion, that the Lord just the Lord reminds us of that. It's not talking directly about communion. But you know Jesus says at one point, like, if you're bringing your offering to the altar and you then go there and you realize you have something against me, brother. It's like, turn away, go and fix it, and then come and bring your offering. Because he's saying, unless this stuff, unless this stuff, if we, if we just come through religious emotions, you know what I mean? I love singing the songs, and I'm not doing all that. The offering basket is there for the wife, if you want to offer it. Forgive your brother's first place. But, but if you do all of that stuff, you know what I mean? You listen to me for 30 minutes or whatever, and that, just, and that fix the box. Jesus is saying, like, if this isn't played out in the realities of life, if you walk away and you're still at odds with people, you walk away and it's not being lived out, what, what are you playing at? Like, forget the religious stuff for a while and go and fix it. Go and do it. And he reminds us, Father reminds us that again when we come to communion. So like, don't come to communion in an unworthy manner. Don't come and say you're remembering Jesus and be doing it in a way 
like that, you know, because then people were like robbing the food and like jumping in first to get off the bread of the shared meal. You know, in Corinthians when he says that. He's like, like, like it, how can you say you're remembering Jesus and the same thing happens against your brothers when you're remembering the one who gave his life for you? You're remembering the one who's united you. And there's this great way of tying it together that when you see the word communion in the New Testament where it says like sharing communion the Lord's Supper, guess what word it is? It's that kind of idea. It's the same word. It's like remembering that, that we're overlapping in Jesus. How does he do it? He, takes, he sits down with a group of guys, all different guys, and he breaks some bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he gives some of the same love to each of them. He didn't sit down with them one on one and go, this is my body broken for you. And it's just about you and me now, Barry. He sat down with the group of them that were following us like it's about you together. Like on the thing that unites you. Remember that my body broken connects you guys together. And the way that the world is going to know you're connected together is the way that you love one another. But the reality is it's formed when one when, when, when body is broken for you. He takes a cup and they share it. And he's like, this blood is the blood that unites you under a new promise, the new covenant of God. And he bore the cost for it, the cost for you to be connected with your brothers, to be reconciled. Was Jesus' body actually broken on the cross, smashed up for you? His blood poured in for you. That's the cost so that we could share in it. Man, we don't dare, we don't dare come to communion and remember that stuff. Remember the cost that was paid for us to be like, nah. Nah, okay, it's okay for me, but nah, I'm not gonna. I'm not, it's not gonna do anything in my life, it's not gonna change. Remember to come and say, well, what's been done for us, we do, we do for others. If you're willing to lay down our lines in the same way and get connected. That might look as like as simple as inviting someone over for dinner this week. As simple as sending the message. Or as difficult as sending the message to the person that there's unspoken distance between us. As profound as that, just picking up the phone and making that step even though your heart can be beating from the air to your chest. That, that we do it. That we're like Jesus, what would Jesus do? He doesn't stay up for heaven. For the joy sets before him and endures the cross. And as we remember him, the, the, the bread and the juice are right there. As we do that, um, because I don't have a I don't have a song to stir us up. I don't have eloquent words to do it. And what we have in this room is the power of the Holy Spirit. As we uh, as we share in this. And I want you to remember, even though they're separated this way, I wish, I wish coronavirus wasn't here and I could take a loaf of bread and break a piece and give it to each of you so that you know that you're sharing in the same loaf. Yeah? Um, but as we do, it's your chance to be obedient to what the Spirit would be saying into your life today. To be a reconciler, to bear the cost, to forgive. And we remember ultimately that that's what's been done for us. But that's what Jesus has done, that this morning, guys, you stand reconciled before the Lord. That this morning, when the Father looks on you, he doesn't look on you with judgment. He doesn't look on you with, like, frustration. That he looks on you the way that he looked down on Jesus when the Holy Spirit fell on him and said, and said this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom, in whom I'm well pleased. Nothing you could have done to earn that. Nothing you could have done to deserve it. Jesus did everything so that you could stand in that sense today. I pray that as we take this bread and this cup, Lord, that we will be transformed from the inside out, that your Holy Spirit would dwell in us, would change us, and would cause us to live like you, Jesus. 
We recognize even in taking this inside us, Lord God, that it becomes part of us, that we don't have to do this in our own strength, that it's only possible because of you and it's only possible through you, Lord. And I pray that we would have the courage, Lord, to live out the realities of what you've done for us in our own lives and in other people's. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just take it whenever you're ready. And just in your own thoughts before the Lord. Respond in whatever way the Lord is in.